Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and it's Thursday night, and we're here again to bring biblical truths and information about polygamy to our polygamous viewers. And tonight, for the very first time on television, we are going to show our latest DVD, which was produced by Scott Johnson and by the Main Street Church in Brigham City on behalf of our ministry as Shield and Refuge. Our ministry was organized specifically to bring biblical truths to polygamists and to offer physical as well as spiritual help to those who want to escape from their polygamous lifestyle. This DVD will introduce the next phase of our ministry as we continue to move forward in our outreach to those who have been hurt and abused and downtrodden and even forgotten behind the prison bars of polygamy. You may be amazed and shocked at some of what you hear tonight and perhaps will give you even a better idea of why we do what we do. The DVD is about 37 minutes long and afterwards we'll be back for a short but very interesting interview of a very special guest. So sit back and watch our latest DVD, A Home for Hagar. It's an old story. A young girl finds herself pregnant. But it comes as no surprise. It had been the plan all along. She had been forced into bed with a much older man. And it was actually the old man's wife who arranged this dubious encounter. This sort of thing isn't so unusual in polygamist cultures like this one. After all, it is the wife's responsibility to bear children for her husband. And the older wife was past her childbearing years and had never been able to conceive. So she reluctantly did what had to be done. She got her husband another wife one who would give him what she never could. At first, they rejoice at the girl's pregnancy. Finally, there would be children in the home. But the rejoicing doesn't last long. When the pretty young girl's pregnancy begins to show, the older woman grows bitter and finds herself consumed with jealousy. She begins to take it out on the poor girl, victimizing her yet again. Finally, a day comes when some fit of rage is the last straw, and the young girl decides it would be better to take her chances out in the unforgiving world rather than languish in her abusive prison. So, she escapes. Sadly, things go from bad to worse for this poor girl. 
She has no means of survival in the harsh reality of the outside world. Hopeless, alone, and destitute. She sits down and hopes that death comes quickly. You may recognize this as the sad account of Abraham, of Sarah, and the maidservant Hagar. You can read all about it in Genesis chapter 16. But this story repeats itself over and over today in thousands of polygamous homes right here in North America. Women who know only oppression, who are unwitting pawns in other people's schemes. Women who have never known a God of love a God of compassion, a God who is near. They have known only abuse, abandonment, and hopelessness. The young Hagar had a different experience. As she wept in despair, God saw her. He came to her, met her needs, and strengthened her to face her difficult circumstances. In wonder and gratitude, she said to him, You are the God who sees me. But what about the plight of the thousands of women who are living Hagar's nightmare right now, right here in our own nation? Does God not also see them? Will he not also come to their rescue? I prayed every day, Dear God, help me get out. I just pleaded with God, I, I, I wanted to die. I didn't want to do this. Every day I would wake up just feeling like I don't want to do this. We were always afraid. There's a lot of fear, a lot of fear growing up in polygamy. You just want safety. I wanted to run, I wanted to leave, and felt like I couldn't. I was now trapped. Either you choose to live polygamy, or you're gonna go to hell. I hated my life, and I would wish somebody would come and kidnap me and take me away. I had no idea what polygamy was actually going to be like. And if leaving means going to hell, I'm already there. All these men did whatever they wanted to all these women in my life, and sometimes me. I was given as a third wife uh, to a man that I'd hated since I was nine. And I couldn't do what I would think about it.
I was born here in the land of the free, a slave in a polygamous cult. And my story is not unique. I was born and raised in a polygamy group here in Utah, and as I tell my story, you'll realize that neither God's love nor His grace are modeled in polygamy cultures. I was the sixth out of seven wives to my husband. The night of my wedding was the saddest day of my life. I felt like I was betrayed by my parents. Here I was going to marry this man I just barely knew. And as I prepared that night and, and got in the car with my parents and said, had said goodbye to my siblings and, and we were driving over for the wedding ceremony, this horrible storm began to brew. And the skies got so dark. Limbs were snapping off trees, and uh, I, I wanted some big tree to fall right down on our car and just kill me. I, I didn't want to do this. I just pleaded with God. I, I, I wanted to die. I didn't want to do this. And He didn't kill me. And then the tree didn't fall on the car, and we made it there. And now I was really stuck. Tragically, too many heartbreaking stories are never made public and they remain untold. It's not just a few dozen, and it's not even a few hundred. We are talking about tens of thousands of lives held captive by this cruel system of religious polygamy. It can be truthfully called an epidemic, and it is a living nightmare for those who want to get out and can't. The birth of Mormon fundamentalism dates back to the early part of the 20th century, when the mainstream Mormon church gave up the practice of polygamy. This created a dilemma for many Mormons, because Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, taught that polygamy was a necessary work, required by God to earn eternal life. Mormon fundamentalists, then, are those who follow the original teachings of early Mormonism, including polygamy. Today, the Mormon fundamentalist population in North America is estimated at anywhere between 30,000 and 100,000. Their secrecy makes more precise figures hard to come by. The main concentration of Mormon fundamentalist polygamy is located within the so-called Mormon Corridor, of which Utah is the center, but it stretches into the neighboring states of Idaho, Arizona, Nevada, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. There are also polygamist communities and enclaves scattered throughout the West in Washington, Oregon, California, Texas, Montana, South Dakota, and Missouri, and even further east. It has also spread north into Canada and south into Mexico. There is polygamy in probably every state in the nation today. 
Uh, there's little groups of it all over the place. Some of them consider themselves as churches. Some are independent polygamists. But polygamy is alive and well throughout our country. Mormon polygamy is extremely prevalent in this country. America doesn't know what's going on in its own backyard. In recent years, polygamy has gained more visibility in the press and on certain reality TV shows. But what is shown is a whitewashed, sanitized version of polygamy. It's often presented as a perfectly acceptable lifestyle choice willfully entered into by free-thinking, consenting adults. And so you end up seeing on TV women who put on their plastic smiles and tell you how wonderful polygamy is. But they don't tell you the real story. I see them on TV with their little bright, shiny, smiley faces saying how happy they were. And I go, yeah, denial's your drug of choice too. Because I lived that, I know. They tell you that they chose to live polygamy. But they don't talk about the doctrine and what's behind it all, what the concept is, why they would ever choose to live polygamy in the first place. They have to choose to live polygamy. We were taught from the time that we were born that if we did not live polygamy, we would suffer eternal damnation. Well, I believed before that we absolutely had to live it. You had to live it to go to heaven, to please God. I, like other polygamous children, did not have a choice in marriage. I was told I had a choice. I even believed I had a choice because I was told I had my free agency. I had my free agency to do what I was told or suffer the consequences. That's not a choice. You're not given a choice. Either you choose to live polygamy, or you know that you're, you're going to go to hell because that's part of the doctrine. What kind of choice do you really have when you're threatened with hell and damnation? Your choice is do it or else. When I finally escaped, I was consciously choosing hell. That's why few people actually leave. Their salvation depends upon their submission without complaint. And this is exactly how women and young girls are forced into the sexual slavery that polygamy is. I was afraid of males in particular. Men viewed women as possessions, that they could do anything they wanted to. The males that came into the home were very oppressive. They did whatever they wanted to the children and the women in the home. Polygamy by its very nature forces young girls into marriage because the supply of women gets depleted quickly and so the men look to younger girls to become their plural wives. They are treated and considered as commodities and for obvious reasons they must keep it all highly secretive. When I was a kid, they were telling everybody, we will never have child brides. We are the better ones. We're the good polygamists. Don't paint us with the same brush. Guess what? 
there's always been child brides. And there has always been lying to the government and the press that there's going to be no child brides. Most of the girls in the polygamist group I was in got married um, when they were quite young. Some of them were 14, 15. I was 14 years old when our prophet, Joel LeBaron's younger brother, Verlin, uh, started to court me. And I married him when I was just past my 15th birthday. I became his sixth wife. He was 38. People ask, so what is the law doing to protect against this sort of thing? Well, it's complicated. There's a double-mindedness about polygamy, especially here in Utah. On one hand, it's part of their proud pioneer heritage. And on the other hand, polygamy is embarrassing and they want to direct attention away from it. So the mainstream church and culture turns a blind eye to the modern polygamous groups and in so doing, they turn a blind eye to the abuses. Sadly, this attitude trickles down to legal policy and law enforcement resulting in a lack of proper protection that the law should provide against human rights violations in polygamy. It is woefully and shamefully inadequate. But it goes deeper than cultural heritage. In this brainwashed polygamy culture, many of the victims don't even realize they're victims. For them, there is no concept of human rights to violate. And so it doesn't even occur to them to testify against their abusers. And even for those who know they're being mistreated, fear of retribution keeps most of them silent about all these secrets. These people will not testify against each other or against the men who keep them in bondage because their salvation is at stake. Probably more than anything is the fear of what will happen to them if they do leave. It's been drilled into them all their lives that the outside world is wicked and evil and that God will send them straight to hell if they leave their polygamy group. These fears are paralyzing and they run deep and they keep them bound to their abusers. If the public was educated about what really goes on in polygamy, they would realize that these women are literally in bondage. They're in bondage to their bloodthirsty and terrifying God that will destroy them if they don't submit. The God I knew was a lightning bolt that would strike me dead if I did the wrong thing. I was afraid of him. He had all the power and I had none. He had all the say-so and I had none. It was not a, a, a God I wanted to be near. It was not a God that really loved and cared about me. I felt like I didn't understand God at all. And in reality, I didn't, I didn't care that I didn't understand Him. I didn't like what I knew about God. God, in my mind, was a polygamist who had many wives in heaven. God hated me because I was a sinner. God hated me because I failed. God hated me because I questioned polygamy and I, I would ask questions. And so as I grew older, my, my father took on more of an authoritative punishing role, beating up on me. He was going to make sure I got into heaven. He had to kick me all the way there. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go there. If that's the way it works, I don't even want to be there. 
If staying in the group meant this kind of pain and this kind of God hating me, I can't please him, I can't please my mom, I can't please the group, I can't please anybody, might as well get out of here. If, if leaving means going to hell, I'm already there. I wanted to run, I wanted to leave. And by the time I really got the courage to leave, I found out I was pregnant and felt like I couldn't. I was now trapped. And uh, the bondage of my motherhood was now going to keep me there. I had these fantasies about being on my own, uh, about finding a husband to, to love me and to be there for me. But I, I never thought that it would become a reality. I felt like I had these evil, secret ideas of wanting a husband of my own. And I couldn't share that with anyone because then they'd know how evil I was. And I began to really hate my life. I hated home. I hated my parents. I hated the lifestyle. And I would dream, I would even daydream walking home from school. And I would wish somebody would come and kidnap me and take me away. I, I didn't want to be there. And that was my, uh, my wish all while I was growing up, that somebody would take No, they never did. So when I got old enough, I ran. I made the decision uh, about time I was 16 that I was going to flee. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but I did realize that I needed to wait until I was 18 years older. They would come and get me and take me back if I wasn't of legal age, and I know they would have. So I waited until I was 18, and then I made, I made arrangements with someone, and uh, she helped me get out of the group and run away and hide. I knew that I would leave. Um, the opportunity presented itself to me all of a sudden. My dad was planning to leave uh, to go visit Utah. And it, the thought just suddenly hit me. Oh my goodness, I can go with my dad. And of course, I didn't know whether my older brothers and sisters who lived in Utah would be willing to let me come with five little kids and stay with them. But I was so desperate at this point. I had to have somewhere to go. And I felt like it was worth the risk. And so I convinced my dad to let the kids and me ride with him up to Utah and just on a little vacation. And so I packed up my suitcases and I was shaking, absolutely terrified. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I went to my mother and I begged her to help me escape. And she said, you're underage. If you run away, the police will bring you back. And when they bring you back to us, we'll have to give you back to your husband because you belong to him now. And she was so afraid of what they might do to me if I escaped and they got me, that she herself turned me in. And my husband took my little baby my baby was just a few months old. I was breastfeeding her. And I physically tried to fight him to get my baby. And he told me, if this baby gets hurt, remember, it's your fault. So I quit fighting him. And he said, you know, I'm going to remind you what your mother said was true. If you run away, if you leave, the police will bring you back. And it will be worse than you could ever imagine. He took my baby and he gave her to an insane wife of his father-in-law. And it was weeks before I got her back. And those were the worst weeks of my life. And when I got her back, I was so terrified and traumatized that I was afraid to do anything. So I stuck around for five more little girls.
all little girls. And with each one that was born, I hated myself because I brought another child into slavery. And I would hold my baby and cry and tell her, what kind of a mommy have you got? You will be a slave all your life, just like me. And I brought you into this world. And with that, I prayed every day, dear God, help me get out, but help me get out with my children. I had agreed to get married. I had it all planned. I had it all a date set and everything ready to go. And I was 17 and I don't know how old he was. He was probably 50, maybe. Maybe he was a little younger, maybe he was 40. I was going to be a third wife. So, but the closer it got, I just, I just kept, every day I would wake up just feeling like I don't want to do this. I entered into the uh, polygamous lifestyle because my pregnant mother made a promise to my father, who was on his deathbed, that she would bring us children up in their belief, and that was their belief. You have to obey the brethren and submit yourself to be placed in marriage wherever they say that God wants you to go. Uh, I was given as a third wife uh, to a man that I'd hated since I was nine. And um, it, was, it was absolutely horrifying. But I submitted to it. A lot of people look at this situation and say, why don't they just leave? The bottom line is survival. Where is a woman going to go when she has a large family, no education, and no support system? These poor people have been born in this. They have been brainwashed from birth. You know, they are in, in such an unfortunate situation that they can't find themselves out of. And just like it was for me then, Today, most women in polygamy groups don't see any options available to them either. They see no way out. They are trapped. Even if they wanted to flee, where would they go? When these women leave, they often leave with nothing, not only in terms of possessions, but also in terms of their ability to survive in the outside world. They're not equipped to live on their own, especially women with children. I came out of polygamy as a 23, almost 24-year-old with five little children, um, a couple of suitcases with a few clothes in it, and absolutely nothing else. I had no high school education. I was very naive about how the world ran. It's not unusual for some of them to have no birth certificates, Others have never opened a personal bank account, or balanced a checkbook, or even knows what that means. Many escapees have only had third or fourth grade education. It's kind of a culture shock for most who do leave. Imagine stepping off a boat from a distant country where you don't even know how the most basic parts of that society works. If it hadn't have been for the fact that I had older siblings that would take care of us, I would still be involved in that polygamous community today. I don't think I would have ever left. I would have had nowhere to go. They come to you in fear 
They come to you in emptiness, no self-confidence, no ability to support themselves, no correct education, and no correct information about the world they're getting ready to face. I wasn't ready for the outside world. I had no idea that the world would chew me up and spit me out, and it did. And I had no protection, and I had no one to turn to. And the challenge before us is to have a safe place for refugees to go and to get the word out that there is a safe place they can run to and be protected from their pursuers. I think there would be a lot of people who left polygamy if they knew that not only was there a place to go, but a plan to rehabilitate them for the future. I would have left a good three, four years before I did if I would have known that there was somewhere to go. The needs of women fleeing polygamy are overwhelming. There are so few resources to meet their needs. Of course, they have immediate needs like anyone, food and clothing and shelter and safety. But if these women will ever be able to thrive in the outside world, they will need counseling, education, work skills and life skills training, mentorship, Many will need legal help to keep their children from being returned back to their polygamous fathers or other abusers. But more than anything, they need to hear that God loves and cares for them. He will not terrorize them. And He doesn't hate them for leaving polygamy. He promises to walk with them along the way. And to know the truth about God is absolutely essential for complete healing. And that is our desire for them. They need somewhere to go where they know that they're going to be safe, um, where they, they know that they're going to be, their children are going to be fed, that they're going to have a roof over their heads, and then they need to learn who God really is, because that's what's going to sustain them. And if there was that place, then yes, they would easily go very easily. You can't even imagine how different my life would have been if that had existed for me. I think if they knew that there was someone that would say, hey, come on, let's get you on your feet, whatever we can do to help you, yeah. It would be so much easier for people to leave if they knew they had help. Without help, you know, a lot of them will stay. and they'll be lost. I can't say that I ever regretted leaving. It was a horrible life. I didn't know that it wasn't God's will. I thought I was running from my only chance for salvation. I thought I was running and leaving that. But God isn't hateful. I didn't know that. I wish I'd known that. I, I wish I'd known when I was growing up that God loved me. Learning of God's love was the most important thing that happened in my life. I have so many beautiful people that I love that are locked up in chains. I love them with every fiber of my being. My precious Carol and, and Edna and Anne-Marie and I just want them to know that I pray for them every single day, that the day will come, that they will be willing to look at the truth. 
A Shield and Refuge ministry draws its mission from Isaiah 61, to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, and to declare the Lord's favor to those who have only heard of His anger and rejection. Our vision is to establish a secure safe house facility with a competent and caring staff who are dedicated to walking alongside those who are escaping polygamy, including those escaping with children, and to provide for both their immediate and their long-term needs. A large, well-staffed safe house facility will be able to house several polygamous families at the same time in their own living areas in a safe and secure location, allowing them to rest, to heal, to learn, to grow, and eventually launch them into an independent and abundant life outside of polygamy. We are calling this safe house the Hagar Home. In honor of a young, helpless girl who fled polygamy thousands of years ago, and in recognition of the great God who saw her and cared for her and still sees and cares for polygamous refugees today, then they too will be able to heal and grow strong and move forward in life with hope and confidence. But we know that God has not called us to undertake this task alone. We need help. We have a long way to go, and this is a huge undertaking. But don't we have a huge God? And He's putting together a team to make this much-needed facility a reality. I would like to invite anyone listening to pray about becoming part of that team. Together we can bring good news to those who suffer, gently calm those who live in fear, and declare freedom to those modern-day Hagars of contemporary Mormon fundamentalism. And you know, there's one more thing I'd like to say to anyone hearing this message who just might be one of those Hagars like I was. I want you to know that there is abundant life outside of polygamy. I found it and we can help you find it too. If you are trapped in polygamy today, there is a way out. There are people who are desperately wanting to help you and go for it. I haven't lost anything at all I've gained. And if you just trust that, and there are people out there who would help you in the, the physical realm of meeting your physical needs and in spiritual ways to point you to Christ so that you can experience that joy and that peace and that comfort that's beyond understanding that's only found in Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ who died for you, paid your sin debt, who's your creator, the lover of your soul. He loves you and all you need to do is come to Him and flee, flee the abomination of no middleman between me and you, Lord. You did it. You bought me and you paid for me and by God you've got me. And I will spend the rest of my days to do everything I can that the prison doors will be opened, the chains will be cut off, and that the people will walk free out of the darkness and into the light and into the love of God. 
That's, that's what motivates me every morning, my gratitude. For more information on the current status of the Hagar Home Project, or to learn how you can be involved, either through financial gifts or sharing your own talents and expertise, please visit our website at hagarhome.org or email us at contact at hagarhome.org. As an outreach of a Shield and Refuge ministry and Main Street Church, the Hagar Home is a tax-exempt ministry, and all donations are tax-deductible. Donations can be made online directly at the website, or you may send your gifts, comments, or questions to A Shield and Refuge Ministry, P.O. Box 651-292, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84165. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, we can and will help you. Visit shieldandrefuge.org for more information or call us toll-free at 1-877-425-9993 or write us at the address shown. Join us as we share in God's mission to bring freedom, healing, and hope to those in bondage to modern-day polygamy. Thank you for watching A Home for Hagar. And of course, the stories that you have just heard are only a few of the hundreds and the hundreds of untold stories of lives that have been ruined and hurt because of polygamy. A Home for Hagar DVD that you've just seen is available for our viewers uh, from our website as it was shown on the credits. Uh, and they'll be back here on the screen. It is whatloveisthis.tv. You can go there to find information to get a DVD. You can also go to hagarhome.org for more information on acquiring a DVD and also uh, as we uh, go further and forward on the Hagar Home project. And as we move forward with our plans to procure and make ready a safe house for those who escape polygamy, we are available to speak to your group or to your church or to your missions group or women's group and bring you more information about what we do and how we help and how you can partner with us to bring the biblical gospel to this unreached people group, the polygamists who live Mormon polygamy. And for more information about a speaking opportunity, if you'd like uh, to us to come and to speak with your group, you can email us. You can email us at contact at hagarhome.org 
or you email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com or you can call me at 801-649-3103. And if for some reason I'm not available, please leave a voicemail and I'll get back with you. Now, one of the ladies that was interviewed on uh, Home for Hagar is with us tonight. We asked her to share just a bit more of her story than was recorded on the DVD. She's never been a polygamist because she got away before it happened. However, plans had been made to marry her off to a man more than twice her age. Knowing more of her story may help our viewers understand the need for a safe house that would offer help and safety for those who want to get out of polygamy groups but have no safe place to go. So I would like to introduce a very special person in my life, a very much loved and beautiful lady, my niece and my good friend, Jill Johnson. Hello. Thank you for coming, Jill. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you did a great job on the DVD and of course you told more than we were able to use on the DVD. So <clears throat> we just thought maybe we would uh, top the whole thing off tonight by getting a little bit more of your story so our viewers would know this is real. This isn't just something that we're making up and a few people are telling stories. It really happens to so many, many people. And you were born and raised in the Kingston polygamy group, as, right. as was I. Okay, so in the same family, you, my half-sister is your mother. And um, so l let's talk first about you were arranged uh, in, in an arranged betrothal. You hadn't got married, but you had the plans were being made to become a second wife. And this happened before you were even 18 years old. You were still in high school. So tell us, what plans had been made and were the, the arrangements, were they concrete? Uh, were they... Just kind of working through it or what happened? Yeah, they were pretty concrete. We had a, um, a date set and had a ring and a dress and bridesmaid dresses and everything was pretty much ready to go. For the marriage, the yeah. plans all made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I doubted it right away. I mean, I, I just kind of agreed to it. I don't know, kind of out of fear, kind of out of guilt. Yeah. I don't know, thinking maybe yeah. it was right, but I always doubted it from the very beginning if I should go through with it or not. Yeah, so this was before you even graduated from high school. Did they want you to quit high school and, and get married, or were you going to get married and continue on with your Yeah, that schooling? was one thing I wanted to be able to finish, <coughs> so they did agree that I would be able to finish high school, even if I got married first. Married so first. I did agree, um, but I, I decided I didn't really want to inside, but I didn't know how to back out of it, so I just asked if I could take a few more weeks to prepare and um, I didn't tell them I was doubting it I just asked if I could have a little bit more time and they did agree to let it uh -huh. let the date be pushed back a few weeks um, but then I got as it got closer again I got more and more not really nervous but I just really doubted I didn't really want to do it but I yeah. so again I asked that if I could you know change the date <laughs> and this time I remember them um, just encouraging me to go forth with it and to, to you know tell me how pleased God would be with me yeah. and how right it was and how um, what just a great decision it was and just yeah. really encouraging me to keep you know keep going mm -hmm. forward and they even threw in a they said I could have a car and I could go to college oh and, so they were bribing you yeah. to so there were some <laughs> things yeah, there were some things that you know so I did agree again but I did ask if I could just graduate first I said let me graduate but um, I, I knew then I wasn't going to go through with it. I just didn't yeah. dare tell them yet. Yeah. But I knew in my mind I wasn't going to do it. But mm -hmm. I, I've had a few months now to 
kind of decide what I was going to do. And kind of get up the courage Mm -hmm. maybe to to back out of it. So your prospective husband was more than twice your age? Yeah. <clears throat> and did that bother you, or did you? Was it just so normal yeah, in the group? Yeah, it was just normal. It was just you just knew that you were, you know, marriage wasn't ever. You just knew you were going to marry someone there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it seemed. And you normally yeah. you couldn't choose for yourself. Yeah, you somebody. didn't really get to choose. You didn't have a lot to choose from. People yeah. chose it for you pretty much, or. And, and how many wives did he have already? He had two other wives. He had two wives. Yeah. I was thinking he only had one, yeah. but he had two. He so you would have been the third wives. wife mm-hmm. then. Okay. Um, so I think that's an adjustment I had to make when I introduced you. I think said oh. second wife. So you finally said no. Now, uh, I want to go back just a minute. On You said that they, God would be pleased with you, that they told you that. Mm-hmm. Um, did they use that a lot? God's wrath, God's pleasing uh, for the polygamy lifestyle. Did they use the Bible and all of that a lot to keep you, you know, centered on the polygamy life? Yes. I remember always knowing that that was just what would make God happy, that that's what you did to make Him happy and to to go to heaven. That, that just knew that growing up, that that's what you had to do. Did you ever wonder why God would want that kind? Did that ever ca- cross your mind, mm-hmm. question? When I got a little older, I did wonder, you know, um, more so why he would only love the people that did that is what I more yeah. started questioning, you know, yeah. that he would love you more or treat you better if you did, if you did live polygamy. Yeah. So, so, so they're teaching that, that God, God does show partiality right. to those who live this horrible lifestyle. Okay, so what happened? You finally said no. You finally got the courage after you graduate. You don't, you're mm-hmm. not going to do this. What happened? Explain what um, happened at that point. I remember point. telling him I wasn't going to go through with it, and I... Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't go over very well. I was treated. I was treated pretty bad. I was ignored. I remember being ignored, and I mostly just remember feeling like I've really disappointed a lot of people and God, uh-huh. and um, just more feeling it inside. I was ignored though, so that that hurts, you yes. know, and, and felt like I just was really unloved, and I didn't know where to go with that or how. So to not act. only is there God. Uh, um, conditional love. Their love was also conditional, based on whether or not you yeah, do that. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt like. Yeah, was that I wasn't going to be loved anymore, and and included yeah. in the mm-hmm. activities. And we all know how that yeah. how that goes. So you were basically shunned, which is a big part of of the entire Mormon ism. The Mormon kingdom is shunning if you're not one of them, or if you decide not to do what they think mm-hmm. you should do. And that happened to you. Yeah. It's painful. It is painful. And that's why they do it, I think. I think that they want us to hurt. Um, So they tried to scare you into marriage, and then they tried to scare you into staying Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you decided to run away, and they bribed you to to get you to do what they do. They tried to threaten you with God and anger. So all these things that we said on this DVD, are they true? They are all true, yes. In your experience, in my experience, in your own personal experience, mm-hmm. they're true. So you wanted to run away from all this. Mm-hmm. You wanted to get away, which is exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. So w- when you had made the decision to run, if there had been a Hagar home, if there had been a safe ha- house somewhere that you could uh, feel like you could have gone, did you think you would have utilized it? I do think I would have. I, I did run away. I ran away quite a few times, and um, I would stay with friends or in their garage or a basement or even at the mall mm. but I'd always go back home because I had nowhere else to go and I know that if I would have had a place where I could have had somebody there to help support me or just 
understand or you know to show me the world or mm -hmm. how to live then I would have gone there so when you went back home you'd run away and and you weren't safe staying away because you had no no permanent place to stay you'd go back home did they how did they treat you when you'd well, go back home? usually we'd I you know sometimes got shipped up to a farm or someplace that was kind of isolated yeah. where you could be away from the bad influences for a while uh -huh. and once they felt like you could come back you know you could come back home and maybe you're ready to start doing what they wanted again then you, okay and then I would run away again were you 18 at this point yes you were legal mm -hmm. age okay so they really had no legal yeah uh, but I didn't know bonds on how you. to I, that was everything I knew so mm -hmm. there was no place for else for me to go but back there mm -hmm. and I didn't and and that's pretty scary too those those who run uh, fear for their safety mm -hmm. a, a lot and they'll also be afraid of being caught and being forced back mm -hmm. it was there anything in particular that you were afraid of I was afraid of being caught I was always even when I was out I would always look over my shoulder and wonder who was coming to find me or if they'd you know called the police to bring me back home and were you um, afraid of going to hell Oh yeah, that was. I was afraid. Oh of going yeah, to hell. that's just, yeah. oh, just oh, part yeah. of the deal I was here. Afraid isn't of going it? to hell too, but <laughs> I was more afraid to go back and be forced to do something I didn't want to do. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I felt like that was living hell and and trying to fight them off. You know how mm -hmm. you you know you don't want to do it, but you know you've also got that yes. challenge of of fighting them off. You said you couldn't have done it alone, and you didn't have to do it alone. What happened? I met my husband. So, and he was there to support and encourage me, even though he was threatened um, with phone calls and his be, he, they were following him and wow. sending him letters in the mail to try to try to deter him try, from helping try me. Try to intimidate and scare him too. Yeah. Uh -huh. But he stuck through it all anyway. And so I had that support and that encouragement to continue to go forward. Even it was still hard, but I had somebody to to help me along and to teach me some things. Yeah. And, so, and there was a lot to learn. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to mm -hmm. learn. Uh, and I'd like to say say right here, this is kind of out of what we t said we would talk about, but I'd like to say right here, thank you, Mike. He is a wonderful man, your husband. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he helped you. He encouraged you. He undergirded you. He stuck with you. He loved you, and he helped you, and he didn't make fun of you mm -hmm. uh, for what, the, the, what your background was. He, he really loved you, and, and I just... Thank you, Mike. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of men that would do that. Right. Um, so um, a lot of, of, of the problem of leaving a polygamy group is guilt. Yeah. Did you suffer through mm -hmm. guilt trips? I did feel guilty. Um, what was the hugest guilt that you, because you disappointed your family or because you disappointed God mm -hmm. or what was they the biggest? They were both big to me. I really felt... Um, guilty for disappointing my family. I'd always lived to please them and to make them happy. Um, so I really felt bad for not doing what they wanted me to do. I felt, mm. you know, I felt unloved. So I felt like that's where I, I thought that's where love came from by performing and doing yes. things you'd be loved. So when you weren't, you felt like if, you know, and I felt the same way about God. So I felt his love was conditional also. Yeah. And that if I was disappointing my parents and going against it, then he would he wouldn't love me either. And sometimes that guilt I've found takes a long time yeah. to, to dissipate and to get away. We, we really have to fight. I still fight some 
uh, in little areas. Mm -hmm. I still fight some of it because it was just so yeah. ingrained into my life as I was growing up. After you got out and you began living in the real world <clears throat> and you discovered that you weren't equipped to function uh, in this outside world, what were some of the surprising things that you found out you didn't know and uh -huh. you didn't know how to do? And again, your husband helped you a lot right. with these things. Well, I didn't <coughs> really know how to do anything. I didn't know how to open a bank account or write a check. Uh, job interview, um, a place, get, find a place to live. You know, even shopping. You know, grocery shopping or, yeah. or making a decision on on furniture or anything like that was really hard for me to do. Well, it was part of that difficulty in well, if I choose this, maybe he or she or they won't like right. it. So I want to make sure I choose mm -hmm. something they'll like, to not something. Everybody yeah. and still trying to you know. So not making a decision was easy because you didn't have to. You wouldn't be disappointing someone. Yeah, I choose not to decide. Wrong. That way I'm safe huh? mm -hmm. and, and, and somebody can't. Uh, and that's the way it was with me. I had never opened a bank account. I had never written a check. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do it. didn't know how to make deposits in the account. Um, I did know how to interview for a job because I'd gone to business school and we learned resumes and interviews during that. But other than that, I was just like you. I didn't have a clue what this outside world was all about and that's one thing a safe house would do because we would we we know that we've been there done that and the transitioning from polygamy to real life can be very confusing and intimidating but a safe house would would mm -hmm. have helped of course you had someone to help and that's great but not everybody does right. have that help to do but now you have freedom not just freedom from the polygamy group but as a christian would you uh, would you explain your freedom in christ hmm. Well, I just now I do feel um, unconditional love. God loves me. I understand how much He loves me. And Jesus, you know, said to come to Him, those who are weary, and and um, He will give you rest. And mm -hmm. I came to Him, and He He gave me rest. And He He tells us that He's the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, when I found that truth, that He died and took my sins, and he saved me and I don't have to live a certain way to yeah. please Him anymore, then I am free. I just feel totally free in Him and that I don't have to live to please anyone anymore yeah. or do anything or you know, live polygamy or live any certain way. I can just rest in what He's done for me. And what He's done. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And you're freed up. Mm -hmm. And that's true freedom. Uh, and that's what Jesus said in John. Uh, those who are my d disciples will know the truth, and the truth will set them yes. free. And it truly does. I know I've heard Mormons and polygamists use that, the truth will set you free, but they use it in the wrong context. Mm -hmm. um, but when we do know the truth, we're free from polygamy. We're free from good works and all that. Uh, uh, Jill, thank you so much. The mm -hmm. time is up. It was quick, of course, we knew that. Oh. But I want to thank those for watching the show. Hearing Jill's story, it's very important. And and order the DVD off the website if you can. You know, our ministry is committed to bringing biblical truths to polygamists so they'll know beyond any doubt that polygamy is not a requirement of God, that God's ideal is monogamy and it never has been polygamy. If you are trapped in a polygamous relationship or in a polygamy group and are afraid to leave because of threats or a guilty sense of obligation, 
Or how will you and your children survive if you get out? Or maybe you're afraid of hell and condemnation for leaving. We want you to know that God does care and He doesn't require polygamy of you. And we care and we want to help you and we'll do everything possible to help you and your children. We always maintain complete confidentiality. Your polygamy group uses religion to force its members to comply and submit to their rules and to the practice of polygamy. But we use the Bible to counteract their teachings because the Bible has never condoned nor commanded plural marriage. From the very beginning of Mormon polygamy, deceit has been used and false prophecies have been made by ungodly men, forcing women to practice polygamy for their own good, they say, and for eternal exaltation, they promise. But that's not true. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, not polygamy. He died to pay for every single one of our sins. Polygamy doesn't pay for a single sin. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can do that, and that's what we need in order to get to heaven. We urge you to seek out biblical truths instead of myths and fables and traditions and cling to the truth about God. Polygamy creates jealousy and pain and grief and loneliness, but Jesus brings joy and comfort and rest for your souls. Thanks for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.